All right, another episode of the Square and Compass podcast. This time, we spent uh, a few weeks on the West Coast. Now we get to be on the East Coast with Brother Juan Sepulveda. Why can't Sepul- I? Sepulveda, I know. Sepulveda. It's, it's a tricky one. <laughs> I just had it a second ago. Juan Sepulveda from uh, Orange Blossom Lodge number 80. Welcome, brother. Thank you, brother. I'm, I'm very glad that you've invited me and happy to spend some time with you. So in a lot of ways, at least for me, you are kind of like the uh, the the pod father of Masonic podcasts. <laughs> when I was looking at starting Square and Compass, um, you know, it was the, the winding stairs, the Masonic roundtable. Those are the first ones I came across, um, obviously. You know, you are heavily you are heavily involved with both of those. The winding stairs is yours, um, and then also the gentleman's brotherhood, mm-hmm. all of which I came across, all of which have uh, either are directly influenced by Freemasonry or about Freemasonry, or have Masonic insights, such as mm-hmm. the gentleman's brotherhood, kind of tied throughout it. Where did you um, kind of where did the the idea for Masonic podcasting uh, start for you? Well, I remember when I first became interested in Freemasonry, I I was already a heavy podcast consumer. I would still, even in the early days, I've I've always been connected to podcasting. And I petitioned a lodge. I want to say it was late in fall in the fall of of that year. So I don't know how it is where you are, but here it gets really busy towards the end of the year. There's election of officers. There's that transition between one group of officers and the next. So there's almost like a, there, there tends to be a radio silence between potential candidates and the lodge. And I wasn't necessarily warned about it. So to me, it felt like, Okay, I was in in standby. I didn't know had they accepted me. I didn't know if they had any questions. I couldn't tell if they were contacting the people that I put down as references. And but yet I was very interested in continuing to learn more about Freemasonry. So I went down the podcast route and I found there was a podcast at that time called The Digital Freemason. And he had he he would create he would read some masonic um bulletins or short masonic education in in digital format and there was also uh robert johnson had whence came you and we have become very close friends since then uh and also eric diamond he was behind ex oriente so even though I didn't have direct contact with the lodge that I had petitioned, I had this constant contact with Masonic topics and I continued to nourish my mind when it came to the subject matter of, of Freemasonry. So that is what got me lined up with Masonic podcasting from the consumer point of view. And I can tell you uh, it, about how I became a podcaster was that after having spent some time in lodge so i was i was admitted into the into the order 
and I became very involved in my lodge. But the dynamics here in my home changed dramatically where it was it was not easy for me to continue committing to going to lodge as a leader uh, because my, my wife at the time was the, the main uh, source of income in the household because I work from home. I have flexibility to do anything, but I couldn't necessarily commit to continuing in the line. And it got to a point where I wasn't even going to lodge. I couldn't go to lodge, but I still have that desire to learn, implement and teach uh, or, or influence when it came to Masonic education. And I said, you know, it, it, it became super obvious to me that one route for me to go and continue learning, implementing and teaching was in a virtual setting. So that's how the winding stairs was born. And then from that, that birth, obviously you've expanded to the gentleman's brotherhood, for example, uh, I see the logo on your your mic stand, and on the and on the mug, um, and also your involvement with Masonic Roundtable. So was it was it a matter of as you saw success with the winding stairs, um, it just fed this desire for you to grow in the virtual space, or did you see areas where you know? the winding stairs wasn't covering and you thought would be appropriate for, for example, the gentleman's brotherhood to cover. Um, Cause obviously one has more of a Masonic bent. One has more of just the general um, teachings about, you know, being a, a, a gentleman, that type of thing, that type of teaching. Mm -hmm. So just how did, how did the expansion in the virtual world come about? And that, that specific evolution happened because my interests aren't fully encompassed in masonry. I've always had a very broad taste for development and education. And I've always been an individual who, who places a lot of value in uh, that process that I mentioned of learning, implementing, and then sharing. Uh, in, in sometimes it's a selfish kind of approach because the, the teaching component just makes it that much more permanent in my mind when I'm able to learn something and then turn around and share it with someone else, it becomes that much more cemented in my memory. So that, that has been my approach even before masonry. Uh, I am a professional artist. So the, the majority of my, my living comes from selling paintings and displaying art. And even at that point, one of the parts of it that, fulfilled me the most was the, the fact that I would research a topic, I would create a painting, but then ultimately I would go to exhibitions and I would speak about the messages within the paintings. So it was that sharing component that, that really fulfilled me. Because painting is, is a very solitary endeavor, just like podcasting is, you know, you're in your studio and you don't hear any applause. You don't get any immediate feedback from, from your listeners that comes sporadically and inconsistently as you perhaps receive an email from someone who listened to your show, or whenever you go to a lodge and someone recognizes you and speaks to you about your podcast, but having that direct access to, to people live, like when I was painting, for example, uh, you get that instant gratification of, ah, they got it. 
and that follow through or because paintings are a catalyst for conversations. And it, it's a very interesting um, parallel with, with what podcasting does. Here we are talking for 30, 40, 50 minutes. And that is just but the knock on the door to a deeper conversation. So whenever the conversation is over, for example, if we were talking about reading, the conversation doesn't end whenever we stop recording. The conversation continues when that, that listener now goes and speak with another brother, for example, and starts a conversation about reading. So I, I see these different touch points as catalysts to deeper conversations and deep, deeper introspection. You know, I, you mentioned earlier, and I think it's, it's relevant for the situation that kind of was the world and it finds itself now. Um, you know, you talked about starting the, the podcast to remain the winding stairs, to remain active within Freemasonry during a time when you weren't able to be, to attend lodge. Mm -hmm. um, you know, right now for, for obvious reasons, pretty much or nobody's really attending lodge at the moment, certainly in Ontario, um, Masonic activity, Masonic in-person meetings uh, have been suspended since March of 2020. And right now, um, you know, are suspended till April of next year. But I'm always careful when speaking with, with brethren, especially as secretary of the lodge, that there's a difference between in-person meetings and Masonic activity as a whole. Mm -hmm. There are still ways to be active um, in Freemasonry, in your Masonic duties. Um, obviously, not everybody has to start a podcast, but you know, consuming Masonic content or taking part in virtual meetings or contacting brethren who may be older or alone at Christmas, things, things of that nature. I guess as someone who started the, the winding stairs, as someone who has found a way to maintain active Freemasonry without necessarily having to attend lodge, where do you see, how do you see Freemasonry remaining active currently, uh, at least in the Ontario jurisdiction? I don't know what it's like in, in Florida. Um, it's different. Until we're able to, you know, meet in person again and have our, our lodge meetings stop being you know virtual virtually done yeah there it has been a double-edged sword uh when it comes to the the response of the brethren whenever they were there were the lockdowns enacted here in, in the states because i don't know if you if, if you came across this but there would be a nightly toast that some people took on and, you know, they took that tradition and brought it virtually so they would connect with brothers from around the world and have a toast in in honor of of uh, brothers at a distance. That was beautiful to me, seeing that despite the inability to come together in a lodge, in a physical lodge room, we were still connecting with our brethren. We were still uh, practicing that fellowship, albeit virtual. And 
but it was beautiful to see that. And then you had different initiatives like uh, the what the, the brothers from Ref, uh, Refracted Light put together where they started interviewing uh, different brothers and, and giving presentations. Like every a lot of people stood up to the occasion and they they said, OK, we have these tools at our disposal and we have the desire to continue improving ourselves in masonry. How about we put them together in a fruitful kind of way and despite the limitations, do what we can uh, in, in masonry? I, I do admire that. Now, the, the, the second edge of this was there has been a saturation of, of content out in, 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 the, in, the, in the media in general. In that it's not negative. I mean, it's it's good. the The thing is that you have it, is, I, I almost see it as when you have. Here, here's a, a perfect example. If you think about how Netflix used to be, whenever it started, not in the mail-in version, but whenever the digital component of Netflix started, you could sit in front of Netflix, clicking and looking and looking and looking at all the different. Uh, thumbnails of the movies that you could watch and you could spend 25 minutes just browsing at what you could do and at the end you just shut the tv down and go about your business and not watch a single thing i've seen a little bit of that here you have so many uh different options that perhaps people are involved in none of them right so i think that a more concerted effort to streamline the communication let's say for example um grand lodges in the united states came together and and it said hey let's all put together our efforts and our contacts because as you can imagine nobody has better contact with their membership than the grand lodge itself what if we all come together and then we have a structured masonic education program where okay this is what's happening across the nation this week and and that's it and everybody gets to partake and the quality of the the production is heightened because now you have some sort of financial backing or some sort of uh structure that supports it but instead like everybody is doing their own thing so as we move forward i can see how you know people continue to get better at what they do and continue to perhaps implement better resources and also recognize that this is here to stay. Like if you if you see this whole pandemic, it's going to have a, I, I think it's going to have a permanent effect on, on how a lot of things are done, a lot of businesses, a lot of organizations. So I think that we need to start looking at, at the long term. How do we continue moving everything that can be virtual everything that can be digital, how we do that in a tasteful and respectful and dignified manner, and then only leave for in-person whatever has to be done in person. Um, I'm curious to see how it ends up evolving. I, I think everybody is, I agree. It's, I don't think anybody quite knows what this is gonna look like down the, down the line, I suppose. I, I had a, a video, I'll, I'll throw a link up about uh, Freemasonry in 1918 to, to 1920 at the Windsor Masonic, or at in, in 
Windsor, um, our Masonic temple was, was built in 1921, but Freemasonry existed in Windsor, Ontario since 1854. So we have minute books going back to that time, but we, we have minute books from the 1918 to 1920 pandemic. Um, wow. Part of me wonders, you know, having reviewed those minute books, it was interesting to see the, the difference in the sense that there was apparently, uh, at least in the minute books I was able to find, no, not really any change that I could see in, in Masonic behavior during the people just kept meeting and there was, seemed to be an increased number of, of funeral notices, but people were, were you know, continued meeting through it um, and then made it out to the other side. And then obviously the 1920s was kind of one of those great, the golden age of Freemasonry. Mm -hmm. So part of me wonders if, if people, once this is all done, people will be so kind of starved for in-person contact again that we may see another Masonic Renaissance or will people be so hesitant to be in public because we've mm -hmm. kind of been trained to socially distance and, and isolate for good reason, that will mm -hmm. people be hesitant to to take part in large gatherings. I don't know, will we see another 19, you know, will the 2020s be equivalent to the 1920s or will it mm. be something different? That It would be interesting to see. The one thing that we had going for ourselves then was a more refined focus when it came to uh, alternatives of entertainment or alternatives of, of socializing. Right now, I am in touch with anybody who is important to me on a constant basis. Granted, it's, it's virtual, but I, I am very well connected to, to everybody. So will I have that need to actually see them physically? Um, of course, there's a difference, and I, and I want to see people. Um, but also think about all the different things that could keep people busy there's there's a there's a there's a part of me that doesn't think that there's going to be a significant boom in in masonry i don't i don't want to be pessimistic but i'm trying to be more realistic about even when we had access to in uh, in meeting uh in person meetings we the decline wasn't slow down there was a steep decline in in membership and participation yeah that's that's true i don't um trying to think of the the refined because you you know the gentleman's brotherhood the the gentlemanly way <laughs> to say it um part of me wonders though if if for a lot of guys before you know, March of this year or January of this year when, when people start talking about locking down, if Freemasonry was kind of like, you know, to, to be crude about it, kind of the girl on the side or the, the side chick, the idea that it's always going to be there. So if I don't make this meeting, mm -hmm. that's okay. They'll, they'll welcome me at the next meeting. And if I don't make the next meeting, they welcome me at the next meeting. You know, it's, it's hard to miss something if it's always theoretically there. Yeah, but when it's actually no longer the case, you know, I, I wonder how many Masons yeah. in February didn't attend lodge with the thought, "I'll just go in March," at least in Ontario. Uh -huh. And then, you know, the last day of February, 
suddenly no, you can't come in March. And as of now, you can't come for over a year. It will be by the time the lockdown. Yeah. So That's my my hope is perhaps we'll we'll see guys, you know, because it was gone for so long, be more inclined to take the time to show up out of fear that it might go away again, especially if we now know that lockdowns are possible and, and you know, the next virus that comes along and we might not always have the option or the opportunity. True. No, that's, that's a very good uh, logic. And I do hope people come back and, and I'll give you my personal experience here in Florida. The, we have been more, how can I say this? It took us a while to shut down. It took Freemasonry a while to actually say, okay, no meetings. At, at first, I, I want to say during March, and I want to say, the, like the dates are, are fuzzy in my mind, but I want to say during the whole month of, of March, people were still meeting. Uh, and I could remember the the Grandmaster having some periodical communications with the with the membership saying, okay, we're keeping an eye on this. Uh, make sure that you're social distancing or what have you. And then eventually they said, okay, no meetings until this time. And I think they got postponed until sometime in July. But then little, little by little they started, okay, it's okay to, for you to come back, but every, every lodge needs to have hand sanitizer at different stations. They need to have social distancing and masks are encouraged. And I, I went to only one meeting and I did not feel comfortable at all because not everybody was wearing masks at the time. It was more of a, okay, it's up to you if you want to wear the mask or, you know, keep your, your, you know, keep social distance. But there were some individuals that it was for them, it was business as usual. And I, that made me nervous. I said, okay, not everyone is heeding the, the advice. And I, I don't think I want to put myself in, in a situation where I'm making myself and my family vulnerable. So I decided at the time, okay, I'm not coming back to lodge until I feel comfortable coming back. So I have no plans whatsoever on going back to lodge until next year sometime. And, and I'll keep monitoring that. You know, the good thing is that I, I put at the service of the Worshipful Master my expertise. I have been a digital Freemason basically for, for better part of a, you know, almost a decade. So I have the resources in order to bring people together and for, to facilitate education in a, in a meaningful kind of way. So what is that? That brings us to kind of a, I've, I've talked about this with, with a few of my guests, um, kind of in the larger circumstances, the, in, in your opinion, the role a Mason in particular, but even like a gentleman more generally, um, you know, how, how would, how should they respond to current circumstances like what is the masonic or the gentlemanly approach to in your opinion to things like uh, wearing a mask or kind of the 
the multitude of inconveniences that everybody is kind of dealing with in different ways, whether it's, it takes longer to go shopping and yeah. washing your hands, you know, all the, all the little things that we take for granted, um, yeah. or we did take for granted, you know, everything seems to take a little bit longer and there's a little bit more work involved. What is kind of the, in your opinion, the Masonic or the gentlemanly approach to kind of living in a, a pandemic world? Yeah. Well, I, I'll start with the Masonic approach. If you think about the Fellowcraft degree, it, it does emphasize the importance of the liberal arts and sciences. It, it, in a sense, it tells you, listen, there is life beyond masonry and it includes the language arts. It includes geometry it includes music it includes astronomy so this is a, a vast world of disciplines that have their respective experts ha they have their res their respective traditions of valuing information and truth and for us it shouldn't be a it shouldn't there shouldn't be the kind of i don't know how to how to describe it there seems to be an antipathy towards expertise or an antipathy against science consensus as if there is something other than what the evidence shows uh, i i have and I'll be very frank with you. I've been very disappointed in the, the response of the Masonic, um, not the Masonic organization, but the brothers as a, as a whole. There has been a, there's been a divide when it comes to respecting what science shows. And there has been a, an open door to uh, politicizing the, the subject matter of, of the pandemic. There is a virus that is killing hundreds of thousands of people in this country. Uh, I've lost a family member to it. And so this is not, this is not make believe. This is not Bill Gates trying to implant a chip on us and activate it with 5g. Like I thought we were better than what I've noticed online. So <laughs> it is, uh, it, you know, to conclude that point, as Masons, I think we need to really be proactive in making ourselves science literate so that we can confront the world and its challenges in a well-informed kind of way and in a way that is dignified, in a way that is, is going to show the world, oh, these guys, they, they, they have a, a secure foothold on reality and in society. How do you, you touched on something that I think is, is, it's where I see the biggest problem moving forward once, you know, once we get through the other side of it, because we will get through the other side of this, you know, I have no For doubt sure. that, you know, th this won't last forever and nothing ever does. Yeah. But you, you touched on something I think that society is going to be dealing with, which is there's going to be a lot of disappointment within Masonic orders, within families, within 
different groups in the sense that, you know, um, if, if I was a, a doctor, for example, you know, and a Mason and, and working these 20 hour days, you know, on, on the ICU units, and then I see online one of my brothers is saying it's a hoax or masks don't work or yeah. whatever it is. Um, you know, once this is all done, those two people will have to sit and lodge together again. You know, it's uh, Dave Chappelle before this, but he talked about the idea of like, it's like in a relationship where you say some things and then you have to find a way to keep living together after you've said or done the things that you've said or done, you know? And the thing is for the person online saying it's all a hoax or, or math, he might have the same feelings towards the doctor. Like who knows, they might each view the other as being somehow the enemy. Like I, and I think that's a, a larger problem for society. I've seen friendships in the last year kind of fall apart yeah. because one of them is a, you know, a COVID denier or whatever it might be, mm -hmm. you know, I guess I don't really have a question so much as just my, my concern is, do you think people, when, when this gets said and done, I guess, how do you think people are going to react to each other? Do you think there's going to be hurt feelings that will have to resolve somehow? Or do you think it will be kind of a live and let live scenario? Like, yeah. where do we go? And just in society in general, because I see this happening in churches, in families, in friendships, mm -hmm. in workplaces. There's just so much tension and so much, you know, this, this, the way people are viewing the world seems so diametrically opposed. Yeah, there's, there's, there's deep division throughout. And I, I do see that it's going to create disharmony in the lodge. I have brothers who, for political reasons or for science reasons, they disagree with me and can't handle the they, they can't separate things like for example let's say you 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 belong to a specific political party and there are some tenets within that political party that you subscribe to you believe that society should function that way uh, and you believe that these things should be followed in order for us to have a, a good society and you think that those are things that are important in order for your children to inherit a society that is fruitful and that is progressive. But then by the same token, you can have a brother that, that has a completely opposite view of in the political spectrum. And they believe, no, I, I don't think that's how it should be. It should be this other way. Now their goal is the same. They are also looking at the different tenets of their political party and they're evaluating them based on their life experience and they think that's what's necessary in order for their children to inherit a uh, a society that is fruitful and progressive now your intent is both the same you want the best for your country and you want the best outcome for your children and you want the best uh the best environment for for f human flourishing now you're going at it from two different philosophical points of views or, or yeah, two different philosophical points of view. That doesn't mean that one hates the country. You see, I don't know if you've heard this before, but oh, these America hating liberals. Uh, I have a lot of friends who are liberal. I have some liberal way of thinking in some aspects of my life. Yet 
I know that they don't hate America. I know that they don't want to destroy uh, this country. You see, so it's, it's that rhetoric that's utilized that is creating the division. Now, in our hands, we are placed, uh, we have instructions on how to become more resilient in the face of rhetoric that could be divisive. We have the, the language arts that we're encouraged to study. Now, if, you, if, if we fail at becoming better uh, wielders of language arts, then it's, it's no surprise that we can't even progress through simple rhetorical attacks, that we can see the difference between the truth and a, a conspiracy theory. It's no surprise that we can have a political individual or we can have a, uh, a personality with great charisma convincing people of something that is completely, is completely fictional. I expect more from my brothers. I expect that my brothers are going to take the study of the liberal arts and sciences seriously enough so that it can have an impact, a positive one in their lives, that they can see a lie from a mile away, that they can see that the brother that's sitting next to them doesn't hate America, doesn't hate him, doesn't hate the, the pillars of our, of our civic institutions. They just want the best for their family and their country. But it's almost, it's almost like we can't do anything until we, we dominate the basics. Like these are the basics of, of society. Learn how to speak properly. Learn how to use language in order to convey your message adequately and to protect yourself from, from nefarious attempts at, at divisiveness. But there's hope. Is is the you know, and this is this is where the double-edged sword of the the internet and kind of social media comes in handy, right? With I'm pretty frequent on on the social media side of things um, because of the Scoring Compass podcast in particular. I always try to promote it through Facebook, through YouTube, and Twitter, and and all of that. But you know, you. I think you talk about we got to master the basics or understand the basics, the rhetoric and of language. Um, it seems like that is not a requirement on any type of social media site. Oh, no, we know and that. And <laughs> also the, the thing is, if you put it out there, especially now, um, I wonder if there's so much on there now that there's like a weird kind of and a protective factor that way in the sense that there's so much, like you talk about Netflix, there's so much kind of garbage on there. It's hard to necessarily focus on any one thing because there's so much of it. But I have seen, um, you know, Masons and non-Masons alike, you know, fall down rabbit holes yeah. uh, on social media where they they post something that encourages them to check something else, which checks something else. And next thing you know, um, they have some very interesting ideas, shall we say. Mm -hmm. But they, especially with no, no in-person lodge meetings, if you're spending all your time online, you know, you don't, it just, it's confirmation vibes. You don't have somebody sitting next to you in lodge being like, that, that sounds like nonsense. Yeah. 
you just have the guy on Twitter saying, no, you're right to feel this way or whatever it is, right? Do you, mm-hmm. So I guess the, it's just, that to me is something Freemasonry has to offer that is sorely lacking in, in the digital space, especially, which is, you know, critical thinking skills and also, um, you know, maybe some pushback against confirmation bias, which seems to be a pretty rampant problem right. nowadays. Well, the ecosystem of, of the internet is, is perfect for confirmation bias. If I, I was listening to Malcolm Gladwell, who is a, he, he's an author who is amazing. Actually, I think he's Canadian, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Uh, he, phenomenal writer. He, he takes different stories in order to capture the, the reader and convey a specific message. He can help you uh, become a better thinker. And I was listening to him talking about the fact that people, when they're doing research, they go to Google. And Google is the absolute worst for doing research if your intention is to actually discover some some truths that are uncoupled from your bias. So think about the way that the algorithm of of any kind of search engine works. If if it's keeping track of what you're looking for, let's say you frequent specific websites that lean uh, a particular way. Well, once you're searching for something, it's going to basically give you answers or give or point you in the direction of resources that are more lined up with what you were looking for. So that is a perfect ecosystem for, for uh, informational information bias you are finding answers within these obscure websites that only you frequent uh, outside of the presence of <laughs> uh, other people that, that could steer you in the right direction, then those are the answers that you're going to have. Now, in social media, you are going to remain in contact with those, um, with those groups and those individuals who better line up with your way of thinking. So, it is not from within that you can solve that, that confusion. It's only without. And, and I, I don't know if, if this happens to you, but this happens to me quite often where let's say I have a business idea and I'm trying to mull it over in my mind and I'm kind of like trying to figure out how, how do I make this happen or what kind of strategy do I need to implement for it to work? And I can spend a week going over it and writing things down and and nothing comes of it. But then I sit uh, across the table with a friend or over a, a, a virtual meeting like this one. And I say, help me think through this because here's what I'm thinking. Here's where I'm finding some difficulty. And many times as I'm speaking, I find the answer. And in, in the cacophony of my headspace, it's almost impossible for me to pull out what the truth is. It's only in that moment in which I am actually engaging in a deep conversation with someone else and externalizing what I'm saying. That's when I find out, oh, wait a second. I've been thinking about this wrong all along. I think I have it. I think I've got it. So I think we need more of that. We need to get ourselves out of social media for, for enough time and out of the internet and picking up books that 
from trustworthy sources that we can actually uh, become better. Now imagine, and I'll put this challenge out there for any brother who has either uh, a digital phone that keeps track of how much time they spend on social media or different apps. Go out there and look on average how much time you spent on the various social media platforms. Okay. Now, take that amount of, of, of hours, because I guarantee you it's hours that we spend on social media. Take that amount of time and divide it into two. Now, half of that time, let's say you have four hours of social media last week. Make a commitment to take two hours this upcoming week and schedule them solidly. Block them out in your calendar to sit down and read that book that you've been neglecting for a while. I, I challenge brothers to do that. I think that's a great challenge. I support that completely. I could use that challenge. But I wonder, do you think that with social media or the internet at large, is it a matter of, is the, the, the ground itself, are the platforms themselves like toxic or is it just we haven't, nobody's found the proper way to utilize them. I mean, I think of, I'm a big fan of uh, Lex Friedman on the, uh -huh. in the podcast world. Yeah. Um, Lex, if you're watching this with my 461 subscribers, please come on the podcast. I'd like to talk <laughs> to you. Um, you know, he, he, I've seen a few podcasts, him talk about this idea. He says he, he has an idea of how to like, create a his own Twitter type thing. He, he thinks this the problem is it's just the way that these things have been set up that they're not they're not um, rewarding or encouraging the the right behavior, but there's a way to set it up in a non-toxic way. Um, yeah. I don't you know I'm just I'm not sure because this comes to the idea of Freemasonry in this space is, if the the space itself is is toxic, then it's very hard to use it properly. No, no matter how hard you you try, you're gonna find it devolves into the not so good thing you talked about. Or do you think that there is kind of a, um, I can a way to game the system or create a, a new system in social media that rewards the the correct things, which is a matter of the right coding. Yeah, I love love the question. Uh, think about let's use Facebook as the main example. Facebook is a is an infrastructure, and the content is, you know, the content is the content. The content is the body of that infrastructure. So you have the let's say a skeleton, for example. Facebook is the skeleton and the nervous system. Now the signals and the muscles, that's what content is, right? If you use Facebook on a on a daily basis, you will notice that if you post a photo, the same 20 people are the ones that interact with that photo. Inevitably. Like the first and pay attention to this next time put an image, write a poem, put a link or whatever, and pay attention. Who are the first five to seven people who interact with that? They have interacted enough with you that Facebook understands, oh, this individual likes to interact with this other individual and then connects them, right? The same thing happens with content. 
let's say you go into a firearms group, for example, and you're looking at firearms and you're interacting with firearm uh, individuals. If you have other people within your uh, French uh, friend list who also engage in a similar groups about firearms, you'll start seeing a little bit more of them in your feed. And this makes sense. If, if you have a social platform where you, the, the goal is to connect people so they can spend the most time together so I can serve you some advertisement, I'm going to see what, how those behaviors look. Okay, this is the people that he spends the most time with. Or he, the, here are the kinds of links that are eliciting the most likes and the most shares. So let's, let's give more of that. In terms of reprogramming or gaming the system, as you described earlier, do this for yourself. What are the topics that you really care about? Let's say for Freemasonry uh, in particular, if, if, it, if Freemasonry is what you want to see in your feed, make sure that you are reacting to all the things that you can in, in terms of, of Freemasonry and things that come across your, your screen that you don't care about, you can let it know. Uh, I don't know what it's called now, but I know you can go and, and click on hide or you, you can say unfollow this page or see less of these kinds of notifications and little by little you can coach your own platform to show you more of what you want and less of what you don't to a certain extent um so do that as best as you can so that you see more of what you want and less of what you don't and this happens on instagram i have several i have separate um separate accounts. So I have an account for the Gentleman's Brotherhood. I have an account for the Winding Stairs. I have a personal account. That's just for me. Uh, and each one of those shows me something different. Whenever I go to the, to the feed, I see something different. And I'm not liking anything about Freemasonry inside of my personal one because that's not what I want to see in my, in my feed. So there is a way for you to train it to show you what you want. But if you're going there and just blindly reacting, you don't have a strategy, it's going to show you whatever you react to the most, whether you like it or not. Uh, yeah, and that reaction bit, right? If, even if you're reacting in a, a not so good way, you're still reacting and they're, they're trying to maximize their reactions as opposed to necessarily a positive versus negative reaction. Correct. That, Correct. that you know, emergent behavior piece is so fascinating to me. Just in life, uh, I think it's the most... Yeah, if, if I could ever get a, a shirt made, I think I'd, it, I would say like it's all emergent behavior. Like it's such a fascinating thing how whether it's social media or just life in general, it seems to start from these very simple, probably incredibly simple rules. Yeah. Um, you know, if A, then B, if B, then C. And then it just you see these emergent patterns develop where, mm -hmm. you know, people... Uh, Twitter canceling wasn't a thing when, when Twitter started, right? It, it's emergent behavior based on a very simple set of rules and guidelines. That makes sense logically, right? Like, yep. you know, what did Zuckerberg say? If, if your friend buys pants, you may like the same pants. So it makes sense to link up that interest. But the emergent behavior is if your friend hates certain political parties, they think you may hate those same political parties and then yeah. it becomes a big hate fest and the danger of that. Yep. I, I just, I'm fascinated by the idea of emergent behavior in so many facets of life. Masonry as well. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not a complicated 
thing Freemasonry. I think people realize it's relatively simple, the idea behind it and the basic tenets. But the, you know, what emerged from that in 1717 to what we have now, the variations it's gone through, this changes over history, where it was in the 20s, the 50s, what it's done. It's just amazing. It's amazing what can emerge from relatively simple origins. Yeah. Now, my, the, the aspect of masonry that I like the most is the applicable component of it. And like that has been the same from day one. How do I become a better man? How do I use a 24-inch gauge to properly allocate my time to things that matter? How do I use the cement, uh, I mean, the, the trowel to spread the cement of brotherly love? How? Like, tell me how. Don't, you know, it's, it's nice and everything to have illustrations and to have a beautiful lodge and to have ornate books and everything. How does that look in my life? If you can't tell me how that looks in my life, I don't care about it. And what I encourage brothers to do is like, take that approach with masonry. Take that approach for masonry. Instead of fighting, you know, should we accept homosexuals in the fraternity? Or, you know, how do we deal with transgender? Why are you so worried about it? How do you deal with masonry in your heart? How do you deal with masonry in your own life? You know, we, we, we spend so much time with these external things and we're completely neg neglecting the internals. You know, how are you becoming a better steward of your time? How are you becoming a better master over your passions? That's what should matter. And if you, if you make that your priority in your Masonic career, people will notice. Your immediate family will notice. The people that are engaged with you in the community will notice. And if you do it to a certain extent, society as a whole may notice that you are that kind of man who actually doesn't just speak pretty, but actually enacts change wherever he steps. And that's what should matter, right? You know, there's, there's no, there's no value in carrying a card or wearing a, uh, what do you call these things? A sash, the thing that goes over your chest. Well, is that your sash and, aprons and all the all the or the, the collars all the yeah yeah all the um kind of accoutrements of a, a masonic lodge or masonic officer yeah it's all superfluous unless it really it really is making a difference in your life and the life of the people around you how do you or at least for me uh one of my struggles especially since we started the podcast but even even before, you know, I've been um, a Freemason for over 10 years. I joined in 2007. Uh, I've been worship, Worshipful Master twice. Um, currently the secretary. I, I was Mason of the Year. Basically, I, I've, I've got very, very specific views about where I see the craft now and where I think it needs to go. Um, and obviously not everybody agrees with me and that's fine. That's what makes life, life fun. But in your podcasting career or, or in your life, how do you, like, do you ever worry? Um, I'm always, I try to be care careful they can to say I'm speaking for me and my opinions on the craft as opposed to the official Grand Lodge position. Yeah. But do you ever worry about speaking, um, 
like how do you make sure you you speak for yourself and not perhaps for the craft or for like an official position yeah well in the masonic round table we always have that blurb at the beginning where we say that our views are our own and they don't represent any positions of grand lodge or anything like that in my own in my own speaking i i'm speaking from the heart and i speak for what i experience i try never to say this is what um this is what the grand lodge should do or i don't like it that grand lodge does this they can do whatever they want i mean they're their own uh their own entity I honestly, I'm not, I personally, I'm not one that worries much about, about that aspect of it. And I know that what I, that what I do, it, it comes from a, it comes from an honest place and it comes from a place of, um, of wanting to help my fellow man. And that is my commitment. I don't think that if if i if i continue if i preserve that commitment that my intention is to help men become better if i don't betray that commitment i don't see how i could betray or perhaps put myself in a compromising position uh, as opposed to the authorities um above i i have i have close friends who are in in different positions of leadership within the within the order and and they know me they know what i'm they know what i'm about so i'm not i can't say that i'm necessarily plus i i'm very careful with my words i'm not you know i i don't even when i am disappointed or discouraged or maybe a little bit passionate i still uh, i'm still careful with with my words i don't i try not to offend anyone <laughs> unnecessarily it, I... Well, I wish I could say I, I'm I'm always the same. Though I, it's not so much the matter of of offending people necessarily. It's more the the you know if I have a particular vision for where I think Freemasonry needs to go in the future, mm -hmm. um, obviously not everybody may share that 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 view. Yeah. Um, which is again, it's a good thing because it means there's discussion and and debate. Um, it's more the idea of, you know, getting my views out there without making it seem as though. So if somebody comes across this who's not a Mason, that they necessarily think that my view equates with where Masonry will, will be going. Because, yeah. you know, we don't know for sure. At the end of the day, it's up to Grand Lodge and Lodges themselves to decide. It's just where I think it ought to go. Yeah. So I always struggle with this idea of making sure I speak for myself when I'm speaking for myself versus when I'm speaking for the lodge, especially as being current secretary of Harmony Lodge, yeah. my affiliate lodge, right? Making sure I, you know, recognize there's a distinction there between that. Cause it can be hard, especially in, when you're podcasting so much and you're always talking and you're all, you know, ideas just come to you and then you're, <laughs> you're following them through. <laughs> By the time you realize, wait, this might not have been the best idea. You've already talked about it for half an hour. You know, you got to whatever point you got to. Yeah. It's an interesting idea just about talking in general. That, But I think it's ultimately a good thing. The way you talked about, right? When you actually speak to somebody about your ideas, it's it sharpens them. It helps you recognize where the strength and weaknesses may be and how to overcome those. 
Yep. In the last, the latest episode of the Gentleman's Brotherhood, I spoke with a comedian. Uh, his name is Zoltan Casas. Really funny guy. He he's been he's been on my radar for for quite a few years now. I love his comedy, and I finally got him on the show, and we're talking about it. And of course, we 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 got to the topic of the cancel culture and okay the way that you hone your craft is by actually putting the 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 material in front of your audience and that is incredibly dangerous you are taking a chance you're taking a you know for him for example if he's crafting a joke there's only so much he can do with it in, in terms of development in his living room it has to be put in front of an audience that will react to it based on its merits and he pays attention to how they react and he knows how to adjust it to make it better and more suitable for a broader audience and and we had that discussion we were talking about how do you do it because it is a challenging thing to to put yourself in the vulnerable position where you put in front of people something that is not polished to its final version with the intent of polishing it in the process. And he said that a friend of him, him describes it. He said, I imagine that you lived in a town that only had one, one guitar. And the only time you got to learn the guitar was in front of a live audience. And he said, in, in essence, that's what the comedy field is. And by consequence, what you and I do where we have a structure, we have some ideas that we bring before our brothers, those ideas, you don't necessarily communicate them beforehand with anybody. You don't run them by some editor or someone who is going to uh, accept them or correct them. You bring them before your audience and they react accordingly. And my point is that it is important that we do this kind of work. It is important that we don't keep to ourselves the our our thoughts and our our initiatives to enact some change. Granted, the organization may move much slower than you and I can because there's so much red tape and there's so much tradition and things like that. And I respect that. But eventually they'll they'll come over and agree with us. And you, you definitely, I think, need, um, you know, you, you need, you need people on the outside, kind of, unless, unless you view everything as, as hunky dory, which I do not in, in Freemasonry, unless you think everything is fine, you need some people on the outside kind of pushing for changes or for reevaluation. Um, because it's, I, in my opinion, it's very hard for change to come purely from within any organization um, because there's so much red tape and also just institutional, um, like there's an inertia. Once, once a group, any group, government, you know, gets big enough, um, it's like a giant, you know, ship on the sea. It's very hard to just turn it around. You need, yeah. you need people on the outside kind of suggesting new ways to think and, and new ideas is what I've always thought for anything, yeah. whether it be masonry or politics or government or whatever it might be. 
Absolutely. And, and one thing to keep in mind, too, is like we are not infallible. As conceited as I may be, as self-assured as I may sound, I am not perfect and I will make mistakes in my thought process, in my information gathering, in my delivery of information. And that should be okay. That should be acceptable for an individual to have an opinion today and for that opinion to be adjusted based on new evidence tomorrow. Part of the problem is that our society seems to chastise that kind of behavior. God forbid that a politician believes that there should be a universal uh, basic income one year and eventually find out that perhaps the economics don't work out in the long run or perhaps finds out that that goes completely against his political party's position. God forbid that they change their mind because then they are flip-floppers and they are spineless and they are uh, just pushed by the wind. No, a real human being, a real uh, lover of the science, uh, of logic, understands that with new information, you can come up with new conclusions. And I think it's healthy for us to understand that. For me to, let's say you and I start speaking and you start talking to me about the fact that you don't believe that polio is a big deal and you didn't put, you know, you didn't give your children the polio vaccine because you think that's some sort of uh, conspiracy to whatever. I may disagree with that and be disappointed in your point of view and concerned for the well-being of your kids, but that doesn't mean that I should reject you as a human being or as a suitable uh, conversational, uh, you know, sparring opponent, because you may come across different information or who knows, maybe I come across some real empirical data that, oh yeah, that particular vaccine was harmful. And now I change my mind. You see, so there, there needs to be that openness that we are an imperfect ashler. And what we are here to do is to perfect, perfect ourselves in masonry. And that can't be done if the expectation from us is perfection from the beginning. We can't achieve that if we have reluctance to admit our own failings when presented with new, more accurate information. If we are rough okay. ashlers, we, we're going to be imperfect. <laughs> and that process is never done, right? I've always never. thought that's, that's one of the the... Well, I guess it, it's good to have, you know, the thing to strive for. Um, but, you know, in, in lodges, I've never been to a lodge in Florida, but I'm assuming it's the same in Ontario, right? We have in our lodge rooms the rough ashler and the perfect ashler. Um, but the point is, it's not a, a, a journey from the rough ashler to the perfect ashler. It's just from a rough ashler to a less and less rough ashler. So you never right. actually get, it's just the goal to strive for, but you're never going to get to the level of the perfect ashler. Yeah. Um, it's just a matter of constantly striving to become as perfect as you can be in your, as you said, you know, in your day-to-day -day life. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's, that's a healthy approach. Yeah, the pursuit of perfection is just that, is a pursuit. It's, it's never the attainment of, of it. So I definitely think that when it comes to pursuing Masonic perfection, you are, you've provided a lot of men and brothers with 
some truly excellent resources. Thank you. Myself included. Uh, I will leave some links in the description to this video, but give a quick um, uh, plug for your stuff because people should check it out. Thank you. Uh, you can find my podcast and my art, uh, my Masonic art, by going to thewindingstairs.com. And if you are interested in what it means to be a man and a gentleman in the 21st century, we're exploring that together at thegentlemansbrotherhood.com. So I invite you to be a part of that. And with that, I'll remind everybody to check out, uh, if you haven't done so, hit the subscribe button, like, follow, comment, patron, et cetera, et cetera. Thank you so much, Brother Juan Sepulveda. Every time. Sepulveda. <laughs> there you go. There we go. Juan Sepulveda, thank you so much. Um, and we just got word here in Ontario that we're probably going to be in a month-long lockdown starting around Christmas or Boxing Day. I don't know what it's like in Florida in terms of lockdowns, but stay safe. Hope your family stays safe and, and all your Masonic brethren. Thank you, my brother. It's been a pleasure.